The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Do we dump stocks Wholesale. Just get rid of them. Sell, 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 sell. Now that President Biden's proposed a huge increase in the capital gains tax for the wealthy, that's certainly what a lot of people did today with the Dow losing 321 points. S&P sinking 0.92%. NASDAQ falling 0.94%. Almost all of the decline occurring when news broke of the potentially huge change in the investment firmament. Now, we know the current 20% capital gains rate has drawn a great deal of money into the stock market. We can't deny that when George W. Bush cut the capital gains rate, it was an immense windfall for the wealthy. Never sat right with me that we're taxing investment income at the lower rate than your paycheck. But as my old colleague Larry Kudlow would argue endlessly on our old show, Kudlow and Kramer, that lower rate would spur investment by the rich, who might otherwise park their money in something that doesn't generate jobs, like muni bonds. That was back during Bush's first term, long before Larry became Donald Trump's chief economic advisor. Oh, he wanted a capital gains cut. I argued that they should cut the ta- dividend tax rate. Dividends were taxed like, much higher. Instead, giving people more incentive to own stocks rather than trading in and out of them. I thought it was one or the other. But the Bush administration never met a tax cut that didn't like. So they gave us both. Now, if Biden manages to jack up the capital gains rate, plenty of people will try to take profits. But you know what? Let's explain something right now. There are two major problems with that strategy. First, they can simply make the tax hikes retroactive, so there's no escape. But second, and I think much more important, let's get our heads around this right now. It still needs to pass Congress, and I'm betting Biden doesn't have the votes in the Senate. Listen, I can live with taxing capital gains as ordinary income. We don't want higher taxes, but I, I can live with it. But the idea that Biden has 50 senators who will vote for this is just fanciful, frankly. Obama had a supermajority, and he only raised the capital gains rate from 15% to 20%. Still, I think, you know what? Let's use this as a teaching moment so we get on the same page together. This feels like a good time to talk about some key investing rules that I don't emphasize enough, 
especially now that so many people have huge gains in situations that seem increasingly perilous and might make rash decisions until the situation has more clarity. Now, one of my oldest rules from my days of helping wealthy individuals at Goldman Sachs before I had a hedge fund is pretty controversial. Don't fear the reaper, by which I mean the tax man. See, I don't care if the capital gains rate is 44% or 20%. If you're more worried about your tax bill than you are about the fundamentals of your companies you own, you could end up losing a lot more money than you'd ever pay Uncle Sam. My richest clients absolutely never wanted to hear this. See, they hated paying taxes so badly. They, they, they wouldn't care if the business had it turned out. They'd hold technology stocks that would shoot up in price, only to see them destroyed as newer, better technologies took over. I remember trying to get people out of bunch. The old acronym for Burroughs, Univac, NCR, Control Data, and Honeywell. These were the mainframe companies that competed hopelessly against IBM. At one point, they were all hot as a pistol, the fang of the early 80s. But then smaller computers came along and their stocks just fell apart. While they survived in one form or another, you had to sell their stocks when mini computers took over. Then you had to sell the mini computer names like Data General and Digital Equipment when those were eclipsed by microcomputers, which in turn got beaten by the PC. We have Intel on the show tonight. Intel helped destroy the tech titans of the 80s because their chips made it possible for smaller machines, smaller machines like this, okay? This is more powerful than a mainframe in those days. Now, I mention all these things because I, I watched helplessly as people just they let their stocks go down the drain because they refused to ring the register. They didn't want to pay the taxes. In the end, they avoided the tax man all right entirely, though, because their gains evaporated. Their stubbornness, it impressed me, but not in a good way. If the fundamentals are deteriorating people, you need to forget about the tax bill and sell the darn stock. That reminds me of another rule that feels real applicable right now. Doesn't matter where a stock's coming from, it only matters where it's going to. I don't care what you paid for it. You have to figure out what you want to do with it right now, and your cost basis has nothing to do with that decision. Get emotionless, people. So, what kind of stock should you be should be sold, regardless of what it means for your tax bill? Well, ask yourself if the company you own shares in might be facing an existential crisis. Many are. If that's the case, maybe it's a so-so retailer in a series of so-so malls, or because it's got no prospect of earnings anytime soon and it's running out of money. Maybe it's a SPAC that has no hope. You should be a seller, regardless of what happens with the tax code. Similarly, though, if you've been waiting for a viable pullback, now get this. This is a completely motivated by taxes sell-off, not by the fundamentals. So what are you getting if you have cash? You're getting a terrific buying opportunity right now. All sorts of stocks are being hammered off this presumption of tax hike. We don't know whether or not Biden will succeed, but we do know these are the same companies they were yesterday, right? As I always tell members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, this is one of those moments where you need to have that shopping list at the ready, all those levels, so you can pull the trigger. Because stocks are being put on sale, not because of the fundamentals of the company. The trust bought some stock today for the first time in ages. It's yet another reason why I'm constantly saying you should keep a little cash on the sidelines, why you need to take a little, what we used to call a schnitzel, I mean a little bit of profit, so you have some money just in case some exogenous threat pushes down the market without damaging the actual businesses of the stocks people are selling. And that is what is happening. Finally, remember, we're not hearing anything about a dividend tax hike, right? I didn't, did you? This morning, we heard from the CEO of ATT on Squawk Box, CEO of Dow Chemical on Squawk on the Street. Both delivered excellent earnings with very strong forecasts that won't be impacted by a change in individual tax rates. But if you truly believe Biden will make the capital gains rate equal to ordinary income, then maybe you should want non-ordinary dividend income tax much lower. 
more valuable than ever. And that means ATT with its bountiful 6.6% yield now backed up by the cash flow and Dow Chemical with its 4.6% yield should both, well, let's just say they're worth a lot more today than they were yesterday. Now, these changes to the tax code will make companies with good dividends more enticing, even as many of them got hit today. Remember, the companies aren't worth more, but their stocks are. So even though I think this capital gains hike is highly unlikely, it's always important to be ready for anything. If you want to take advantage of this tax-motivated decline, don't do it all at once, though. Assuming Biden doesn't make the hike retroactive, there could be days of selling pressure here. And you don't want to catch the first wave that just started in the afternoon. But the bottom line, please do not fear the tax man. Don't fixate on where a stock came from. Only think about where it might be going. Most important, be ready to buy stocks that are getting crushed by tax fears that have nothing to do with the fundamentals. And watch for stocks with good yields if you're desperate for tax-efficient income. You should view this sell-off as an opportunity, not a penalty. And please remember that most people who own stocks hold them in tax-favored retirement accounts that will be totally unaffected by this stuff and have no need to sell anyway. Why don't we take calls? Let's go to Patrick in my home state of New Jersey. Patrick. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. I wanted to talk a little bit about PayPal. Sure. They, they recently announced they are getting into the crypto game, enabling customers to buy, sell, hold crypto, as well as pay for purchases with crypto. What impact do you think it will have on the long-term outlook, and is it a good buy at the current pricing levels? Well, I think if the news is one of those news, Patrick, so it's a story that is known. Uh, there's nothing original to it anymore. Uh, we know the same thing about Square and Cash App. I think that uh, it's not a gimmick. Dan Schulman doesn't do gimmicks. But I think it's also not a reason to own the stock. We own the stock for earnings. We own the stock because it is a world play on the digital economy. Allen in California. Allen. Jimbo. Yo, so yo. Jim. Yo. So I recently used this company's technology to make an offer on a house in Ashton, Oregon, and one in Palm Springs. Didn't get either, but I did it remotely. I did it from home. I recently bought a car, and I sat in the finance manager's office, and he turned the top of his desk into a computer screen, gave me a stylus, and I signed everything. No papers. I think this company is a disruptor. I think it's got a lot of room to run. The company is DocuSign. What say you about Docu? Okay, I think it is a great company. Unfortunately, right now, people are convinced that it's a a stay-at-home COVID company, and the stock is probably going to go lower. I think the fundamentals should matter, but I am mindful of the fact that there is a a belief that business just can't be as good year over year. So what I say is wait for DocuSign. And sorry you didn't get that place in Ashland. That's the place of dreams. I'm going back there real soon when my daughter comes back from Spain. All right, listen. Be ready to buy stocks that are being pummeled by tax fears, not their businesses. This is an opportunity. On Mad Money Tonight, coffee drinkers, pet owners, and home bakers helped to drive the biggest rise in quarterly sales at Nestle in a decade. And I got the CEO. Then toy with an investment with Patel. I'm going to sit down with the CEO fresh off a blowout earnings, find out what's ahead. And Intel just posted its first quarterly earnings with Pat Gelson, the at the helm. You know what? I've got the exclusive. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Earlier this year, nobody wanted to go near the package food stocks. Didn't matter what the numbers were, the good, bad. These companies were the biggest beneficiaries of the lockdowns last spring, meaning they're now up against tough comparisons in a less favorable environment where people can go out to eat again and they want to. But over the past six weeks, the packaged food names have made a remarkable comeback, either because investors want safety in a market that feels a bit toppy or because people are realizing that consumer habits have changed permanently in the wake of the pandemic. Take Nestle, the gigantic Swiss packaged foods powerhouse. This morning, the company reported a terrific quarter, 7.7% organic growth. Wall Street was only looking for 3.3. Nestle's coffee business is on fire, along with the dairy, Purina pet care, vegetarian candy categories. Even better, management confirmed its full year forecast, indicating that this strength will continue. The stock's now back within striking distance of its highs. So can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Mark Schneider, the CEO of Nestle, to get a better read on the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Schneider, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me on the program, Jim. Good to be back. Oh, well, I'm so thrilled you're here for two reasons. One, because these are great results. But two, these great results were not compromised by all the great things you're doing for the earth. And I think that's important. How do you do 7.7% organic growth and at the same time care more than almost any CEO I know about sustainability? Well, look, on the first quarter, let me just say how pleased we are. In a nutshell, we've seen uh, a strong rebounding business in China from very low levels, of course, last year because of the corona lockdowns. We've also seen signs of recovery in our so-called out-of-home business, where we cater to restaurants, offices, bars, and hotels around the world. And then, of course, the at-home business, retail, continue to be very strong. And, of course, this is our wheelhouse. This is uh, where most of our business takes place. And to your question, I think the two are connected. Today's consumer asks even more than before for sustainability. They want to know that we're treating the planet well. They want to know we're taking care for the next generation. But at the same time, you've written very eloquently that this is not corporate philanthropy. This is not about trying to give money away without any sort of regard heedlessly to your bottom line. 
Absolutely. And look, when you look at the amounts involved, I mean, we're talking significant investments here, multi-billion investments over the next few years. We've put all of this to a voluntary advisory board to our shareholders last week as part of our annual general meeting. We got a 95% approval on that. And basically, there's a business case emerging with a more discerning consumer that rewards good sustainability and with government regulations also sort of heightening the barriers and heightening the levels here. I think there's a good business case emerging, and that's what we're pursuing. In the meantime, I love some of these uh, divestures and acquisitions, which seem very much in keeping with what the next generation from yours and mine like. So why don't you talk about how getting rid of plastic or making it a goal and then getting into what I would have to describe as fresh and good for the body. Absolutely, Jim. And look, portfolios evolve over time, and they have been with our company over more than 150 years. And if I had to summarize the present strategy in a nutshell, I would call it good for you, good for the planet. So healthier, more nutritious, fresher, and then packaged and made in a way that doesn't burden the environment and uh, lowers our environmental footprint. I find that your common sense view about this is deeply ingrained with why you had 7% organic. There are so many people, Mark, who come on the show and they actually have ways to justify what they're doing that's bad for the planet. And a lot of them are free riders off of what a company like you is doing. How do you make sure that there aren't free riders who take advantage of what you of, of the money you're spending and the actions that you're doing? And look, there will always be free riders. And um, it's not different from a situation where someone would say, look, I don't want to be good because someone else is bad. So we have to strive for better solutions. And uh, clearly, uh, I think the regulatory framework that's emerging around the world is going to be helping us there. For the very first, first time, you are seeing something like regulatory convergence between North America, Western Europe, and the major economies in Asia when it comes to climate protection. I think the White House Climate Summit today is testament to that. And uh, that's a new situation that hasn't been around before. And uh, so companies that are ready, companies that do their homework will be rewarded. But, Mark, one of the things, another thing you did, I've spoken to a lot of executives. They keep saying they got to wait for the government to be their partner before they take action. You clearly are not waiting for that. You're right. And that's where the consumer comes into the equation. And we see around the world, the younger, the better educated and uh, uh, the wealthier the consumer, the more interested they are in environmentally sound products and practices. And of course, digital these days means that there's total transparency about your supply chain. So people do understand what you're doing for the planet and they reward the companies that are leading this trend. All right, let's drill down the quarter because it was so magnificent. Pet food extraordinary. You're in the right place, right time. Pet food has been kicking the lights out. You're absolutely right. And I think what we've seen globally uh, during this pandemic is that pet adoption is way up. And um, of course, pets these days are more and more treated as family members. People really sort of trade up when it comes to the quality pet food, science-based formulas gaining a lot. And this is where our research and development is really paying off. Regain leadership globally, coffee. Absolutely. And, you know, coffee is one of those uh, core businesses of ours. Uh, we were the inventor of soluble coffee in the 1930s. Nescafe to this day is the leading global brand for soluble coffee. We were the inventor of portioned coffee with Nespresso. 
And then, of course, we entered into this incredible partnership with Starbucks three years ago, which I think has been working to everyone's full satisfaction. Starbucks' satisfaction and ours, too. How can Nespresso have a 17% organic growth number? Unheard of. Well, I think this is market share gains, but then, of course, more people spending time at home, consuming coffee at home. I think this is part and parcel of uh, the life we've been living for the past uh, year, and uh, that was brought to us by the pandemic. So I'm not trying to tell you that 17% is the growth rate going forward, but that's why it's so good to see that underlying that uh, pandemic-driven growth, there's also solid market share gains in the major markets where we are. The market share gains in vegetarian, which you believed in early on because we spoke about it. Others are starting to catch on, but they're way behind you. Yeah. And, you know, for us, this is not only about the burger patty or some chicken substitutes. It's also about prepared meals. Like think about pizza toppings or Stelfos lasagna that's vegetarian. And so we have lots of opportunities downstream with these prepared products uh, to actually utilize the same ingredients. But when it comes to the burger, of course, we still have a project outstanding, and that's a cookout. And uh, we would love you to be the judge about who makes the best burger. Look, I can't wait. You know, that's exactly in my wheelhouse. That's what I do. One last question. I'm worried about Europe and COVID. You are, too. Where are we? Because I feel like it seems very much in the balance. Look, I think we have a path to exit this, but it really depends on widespread vaccinations. And so when I look at our community support over the past year, uh, initially it was all about helping in emergencies and uh, doing our best. Um, But now it's all about uh, contributing towards equitable access uh, to the vaccines around the world, especially in low-income countries. The sooner we get that done, the sooner the world can return to normalcy. Well, look, I want to congratulate you. Uh, Uncompromisingly great for our planet and fantastic for the shareholders. It can be done. Mark Schneider, CEO of Nestle. Thank you for coming on the show, sir. Thanks, Jim. Think about what this man did. 7% organic growth. Fantastic dividend, by the way. Didn't even mention that. At the same time, no compromise. Helping the planet. I like Nestle. I like Mark Schneider. Everybody's back after the break. Kramer doesn't play around with your portfolio. Don't miss an after-earnings exclusive with the top brass of toy giant Mattel. Next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. Most of 2020's biggest winners had a rough time in 2021, but you know what? There is a short list of stocks that just keep worrying. Stocks like Mattel, 
the Kramer favorite toy maker that turned itself around right as the pandemic came along and then gave them a chance to make out, well, let's just say like bandits. We have been behind this one ever since CEO Enon Kreis came on the show last May. Stock was trading at eight bucks and change. We got behind it. Patel said all along that this strength is durable, that it will last beyond the lockdowns. And tonight they proved it. Company just reported stellar quarter. They lost 10 cents per share. Wait a second. Street was looking for a 35 cent loss. They generated 874 million in sales. They had also only looking for 684 million. That's nearly a 30% beat, people. They even had a surprise profit in what's traditionally a money losing quarter. So could this thing have more upside? Let's dig deeper with Yanon Christ. He's the turnaround artist, chairman, and CEO of Battelle. Get a clearer picture of this triple quarter. Mr. Christ, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. It's great to be here. You know, Inan, I've got to tell you, it's not one thing. It's many things. You have taken share. You are number one in so many different categories. But when I see a blowout like this, I give the CEO the floor to say how it happened. It's yours. Well, Jim, there are no two ways about it. This was a record quarter for the company. We are in the strongest position now than we have been in many years. Our results far exceeded expectations with exceptional growth and very strong increase in profitability and free cash flow. Net sales were up 47%. The highest quarterly growth rate on record going back more than 25 years, driven by very strong consumer demand for our products. For the third consecutive quarter, we achieved double-digit sales increase, grew ahead of the industry, and gained market share globally. So, Jim, what you are seeing is the success of our multi-year transformation strategy, which we believe puts us in an excellent position to continue to improve profitability and accelerate growth. We could not be more confident about our trajectory and future outlook. You know, I looked at uh, the Barbie numbers and I was struck. I said, how is that possible? How could you have this kind of gain? And you're talking about extraordinary, up 86% worldwide gross billings. And then I realized they come out to look at the different products that you kindly sent us. And here I see a gorgeous Maya Angelou. Barbie. And I say to myself, the reason why Barbie is a winning franchise is because you are a winning man and a winning team. You obviously are thinking well beyond the way Barbie used to be thought about. Yeah, Barbie just continued its phenomenal performance, as you said, up 86 percent. The growth came across all product categories. Barbie strengthened its position as the number one global dolls property and continued to gain market share in all four regions in, in the first quarter. Uh, this is just a tremendous brand, a tremendous franchise, and we expect that to continue to go from strength to strength. Okay, now I'm sure there'll be people who say, wait a second, I don't want to buy this stock because this is really a stay-at-home play. It's a COVID play. Uh, so how do I know it's going to continue to be great once COVID is solved? Well, you know, while our exceptional growth this quarter benefited partially from favorable year-over-year COVID-related comparisons, We believe that the strength of our performance, our results uh, overall, is driven by our iconic brands, the quality and breadth of our product, the world-class supply chain, global commercial capabilities, and very effective demand creation in close collaboration with our retail partners. We grew market share for the third consecutive quarter, which demonstrates that we are not just riding the wave, but are growing well ahead of the industry and driving the momentum. And the strength of our performance is also evident when comparing 2021 results to 2019 before COVID, with net sales being higher by 27% in the first quarter of 21 relative to 2019. 
So uh, we're in an excellent position. Uh, we're seeing a strong start of the second quarter, including Easter holiday, and are planning for another good holiday season. Now, uh, when I first met you, I was dismissive of your ability to turn around American Girl. I thought it was the franchise that just had it. You have injected new life. You now have third consecutive. I mean, this is just a rather amazing. Another quarter of what I thought was a dead brand. How do you resurrect something that everyone had written off? Well, American Girl was up 22 percent. Just great performance. We're very encouraged by the results and expect improving performance in 21 relative to 2020. American Girl, direct-to-consumer online retail, was up 73 percent. Uh, just tremendous performance. It is one of the most cherished brands in our portfolio and, in fact, across the, the industry. So uh, a lot to be excited by. Uh, the turnaround is working. The transformation is accelerating, and we have great um, uh, uh, confidence in the continued momentum of American Girl. Let's talk about financing for a second. Again, when I met you, I said, are you kidding me with this balance sheet? And yet here I see you have taken out a huge amount of uh, interest expense. That's right. With our refinance, we just reduced our interest spend by $40 million on a full-year basis. Our free cash flow continues to improve consistently. Our free cash flow in the trailing, uh, in the trailing 12 months was up four times uh, relative to where we were a year ago. Our leverage ratio continues to decline. It is now 3.3, down from four at year-end and at 7.5 a year ago. Uh, so we're making continuous progress on improving our balance sheet, uh, and we plan to use our excess free cash flow to reduce uh, more debt in the near term. Uh, now, do I have to worry that you did not raise guidance nearly as much as you did well this quarter? I mean, you could have taken, I guess I could have hoped for, I wanted double-digit raise. You didn't give us that. Well, uh, you know, this was uh, an incredible uh, third quarter in a row where we grew double-digit. Uh, and we're seeing continuous momentum. We believe we are well positioned to gain momentum for the full year and grow market share uh, globally. With that performance, we have raised guidance, uh, both top line and on EBITDA. Top line is now uh, revenue net sales are expected to grow at 6 to 8% in constant currency. And our EBITDA is expected to grow with guiding a new, new growth or new guidance of 11 to 15%. Uh, so good momentum for the company. We are looking to accelerate top-line growth and continue to improve profitability. And we believe we're in an excellent position to do that. Once again, this man came on when the stock was at eight, and everyone said, you know what, that's a dead franchise. Talked about brands that couldn't be resurrected. He did everything he has promised, and then some thank you, Enon Kreis, Chairman and CEO of Mattel. Congratulations on an amazing quarter. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Look, it's cheap again. You see, stock, even though it went up to 22, It's even cheaper because of how great the earnings were and the balance sheet being fixed. May everybody's back. Coming up, can Intel inspire investors to go all in on innovation? Kramer's got the CEO of the chip-making icon, Fresh Off Earnings, next. Intel reigns supreme as the 
king of the semiconductor industry. But in the last few years, it's been dethroned thanks to resurgent competitors and a lack of innovation. After a series of delays and some not-so-great numbers, the company ousted its CEO and brought in VMware's Pat Gelsinger. He's an old and beloved Intel hand to turn things around. Since then, the stock's made a comeback, and tonight, Gelsinger delivered his first earnings report as CEO. The results were good. Big top and bottom line beat, made all the more impressive, frankly, by the fact that Intel already pre-announced the upside a month ago. However, the stock ended up pulling back after management gave mixed guidance for the next quarter. I think the market's judgment may be a little too harsh. What matters is the long-term vision. So let's take a closer look with Pat Gelsinger. He's the new CEO of Intel from what just finished his first conference call. Learn more about the quarter and his plans for the future. Mr. Gelsinger, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, it is great to be with you. It's been too long since you and I have chatted and great to be on Mad Money tonight. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been many a year and I am thrilled to see you in this role. Pat, uh, you were an old hand at Intel before going to VMware. How has Intel changed and how do you have to change Intel to be back to where it was when you left, where we know it was the world leader? Well, hey, thanks, Jim. And it really has been, I'll say, you know, it's been my dream job. And uh, after my 11-year vacation, as I've called it, and, you know, eight great years as the VMware CEO, being back is really a thrill. And, you know, the things that I've laid out, I said four things we need to do. One is execute, execute, execute. We just have to have our, you know, the discipline, the process execution, every aspect of it. You know, leadership products in every category that we're in, you know, have the innovation engine alive and well. And then finally, rebuilding the culture. And as I've come back, you know, all of those have sputtered a little bit. You know, there've been execution issues, well reported. Uh, some of the challenges of the innovation and in our process technology, we got to get that back on track. You know, we're we're an industry category creator. We have to have that innovation, and as I've called it, the Grovian culture. Going back to Andy Grove, my mentor for 35 years. You know, getting back to some of the basics of you know data and engineering and being uh, ready to have the tough, direct, transparent uh, conversations. And I'll tell you what we've seen, Jim, in the short time I've been here. You know, it's like, you know, a desert where you have the first rain, right? Mm -hmm. Flowers start blooming all over the place. People are excited. You know, people are coming back to the company and the engine is getting started again. And I'll say Intel is back and so am I. Okay, so now let's talk about what has to change and where Intel fell back that it has to reassert itself. Uh, There were questions on the conference call that were a little bit, I'd say, pointed about cloud service providing the numbers. They were down year over year. And obviously, it's gotten to be a little more crowded. You've got AMD in there. You've got ARM, NVIDIA moving in. A lot of competition. Pat, how can you leapfrog them, given the fact that they're all very hot? Yeah, and overall, you know, what we said is last year was a big year where they built up inventories and built a lot of clouds, and now they're selling out those instances. So the first half was lower just cyclically. And, you know, we do expect and we're starting to see the signs that, hey, it's starting to build up again as we go through the year for the cloud providers. But as you say, the space has gotten a little more crowded. Some of the cloud guys are saying, huh, maybe I'll do some of those chips myself. Uh, We're also seeing a few others coming and saying, huh, you know, that's a pretty good market that Intel got there. Maybe I can get a piece of that action. So I say, you know, first, we just got to get our own execution back. And that's what we focused on. We just launched our next generation Xeon or Ice Lake product, as we call it, you know, 50 plus percent performance improvements, 70 plus percent on AI workloads, seeing very strong ramp. So we got to get the execution. But the other thing that we did, Jim, we also said, hey, 
we're going to have a new model for how we work with the industry. We called it IDM 2.0, mm-hmm. integrated design and manufacturing. And with that, a foundry service capability where they can bring some of their ideas and combine it with our IP and the combination is better optimized for their environments. Before they couldn't do that with Intel, now they can. And the response from the cloud guys has been incredibly positive. This new model of innovating and co-working and being able to create more optimized cloud environments because they're at such enormous scale, even modest optimizations in their cloud environments give them huge gains. So the response from all of our customers, and we've seen great when I announced this uh, back in March, uh, Jim, you know, we saw mm-hmm. you know, Google and Amazon and particularly Microsoft and uh, Satya joined me on the announcement, all of them being very positive on the strategy that we've laid out. So good response so far, but again, we got to execute, make it real in their environments. Well, let, let me expect, you want to execute, at the same time you're taking the burden of America on your shoulders. Uh, you want to build foundries here. I was looking at the numbers that uh, of all these semiconductor equipment companies. It, 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 only 3% of things are made here anymore, Pat. It's because we're so expensive. But it's also a national emergency that we do it. You have committed to doing it. The other guys are t- kind of taking a free rider role. Government says it might spend $50 billion on this. Why not let the government do it in some sort of partnership? Because it shouldn't be on your shoulders. Well, you know, what we what we said, Jim, is this is critical. It's critical for the industry, for our nation, you know, for the world. We need a more balanced supply chain. And what's happened over the last 25 years, if we go back 25 years, U.S. manufactured 37 percent of the semiconductors of the world. Today, that number is down to 12. Right. For something that is underlying every aspect of humanity. Right. Everything is going more digital and everything that's digital runs on semiconductors. This is critical. The world needs a more balanced supply chain across Asia, US, and Europe. And that's what we've stepped into. And we said, hey, we're going to put our chips on the table. I just announced a $20 billion factory expansion in Arizona. I also said we're expecting to announce our next major location later this year. So we're investing, we're betting. And we said, we're ready to go faster. We're ready to go bigger with further incentives by the government. And we're seeing great response. And Biden's uh, job plan includes you know, R&D, you know, broadband, and $50 billion for semiconductor manufacturing. Right. And we're saying that's absolutely the right thing to do because this decline from 37 to 12, we want to stop and we want to see it come back the other way. Governments around the world invest in this industry. They see the importance of these jobs, the importance of these technologies. So in some cases, as much as 40 percent of those fab that I said 20 billion I just put on the table are being paid for by those governments. We need help to be competitive. We need help to go faster and turn around that response. But we've seen great support. You know, okay. the administration, Congress, both the Democrats and Republicans, clear bipartisan support. Everybody's seeing the importance of this. And clearly after COVID, you know, the automotive shortages, all of those have reinforced how critical this is for our nation. And we're pretty excited put our chips on the table, but to make them bigger and broader as a result of government help. Look, for a long time, I was an teleholic. I, I idolized, worshipped Andy Grove. I did not, <laughs> under the Jerry Sanders AMD, think much of AMD. Pat, AMD is back. It's strong. How can you challenge them when they are have gotten so much good IP? Well, you know, one of the things I'll just say, let's go historically for a moment, Jim. 
you know, one of the last projects I did before I took my vacation from Intel was the server turnaround. And okay. back in 2003, you know, AMD did a great job. They did some innovations. Intel stumbled a little bit. And then we came roaring back. And that was one of the last big projects I did for Intel. And guess what we're going to do, Jim? We're going to come roaring back again. Right, and, well, you know, the hole that we're in over the last several years isn't nearly as big as the one that we had back in that 2005 time frame. And the assets that we have now in our process, our product, our packaging, our software investments are much stronger. So I'll say, boy, you know, we are out to compete. We're going to be aggressive. Right. You know, we're seeing really, really good response. I mentioned this Ice Lake product launch, the new Xeon server for data centers and cloud. Great okay. response from the customers. We're seeing a strong early ramp from that. So I'm feeling very confident that good execution, you know, good you know, delivery of our process improvements, you know, our software assets, new capabilities like right. the well, AI that we're bringing into these chips. Yeah, we're on a good footing to be back. All right, well, we're going to hold you. are going to hold you to it as we always done, Pat. And I can't wait to see the fight. It's good for everybody, and it's good for the country. That's Pat Kelsier. He's the new CEO of Intel, an old hand who is back. Mad Money's back into the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. Okay, what's that about? That's about rap fire calls. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. Over the lightning round. Okay, with Joseph, New Jersey. Joseph. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. I'm wondering what you think about a healthcare company, which you can also say is a technology play, down around 35% since its IPO a couple of months ago. What do you think, Jim, about Oster Health? I don't need it. I don't need Oscar Health. You know why? Because United Health reported an unbelievable quarter the other day, and that was just that has no flies on it. You buy U N H. James in Ohio. James. Booyah, Jim. It's Booyah. Boy, Jim Cleveland again. Hey, I want to know, is it too late for me to get in on a line technology? You know what? I've been saying that it's too late for a long time, and it's not. You know why? Because this is the quintessential selfie stock. All people want is, what a chart. All people want is to look good and feel good, and a line does that. And by the way, just you know, my wife says I should get a line. That is not why I want to do it. Pauline. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. I'm in on the House of Pain. My stock is down 50%. Do I sell in Seago? The House of Pain. We had the guy on, the CEO. I thought he did a decent job. Stock just keeps going lower. Maybe there's something he and I don't know. I don't know. Down here at 8, I don't want you to be a seller. Enough is enough. I'm not saying buy, but not selling it down here. I need to go to Ken in Georgia. Ken! Hello, Jim Kramer from the city too busy to hate. Well, I like the Falcons. I do. Yes, I guess sir. Chuck Robbins is from there. Are you like, that's why. What's up? I led by the phenom Austin Russell. Luminar Tech. Should I out or back to $30, $40 territory? That one broke up a little. Do we know which one a stock Ken's talking? Luminar. Oh, Luminar. Well, you know what? Um, we have been looking at these autonomous vehicle plays, and I've got to tell you, Ken, frankly, I'm a little gun shy, given the fact that we see, can't seem to get the technology right. I put that one in the more of a long range camp, not anything near term. 
How about we go to Trevor in Indiana? Trevor. Hey, Kramer. How's it going? Oh, I'm having a good day, Trevor. How about you? Great. So uh, my question is on Tattooed Chef, TTCF. Uh, Boy, are they out of nowhere, huh? I mean, you know, this is a food company that everybody wants to talk about. I think it's got a real good brand name. It actually has some pretty good food. I'm not going to be against it. I am for Tattooed Chef, but not aggressive. It's very expensive. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Wall Street loves stories that are easy to understand. When Johnson Johnson has a good quarter, well, we get it, right? The comparisons are straightforward. Not just quarter over quarter, but category after category. Pharma, devices, consumer products that you find in the drugstore. Hey, same thing goes for PepsiCo. Snacks, beverages. Nobody's confused about Frito-Lay or Pepsi. The most mysterious part of the quarter might be Mountain Dew growth or Bubbly. Or how about this morning when Southwest Air reports its available seat miles uh, versus the rest of the industry? We know exactly who's doing better and who's doing worse. It's all apples to apples, isn't it? But then you've got the hard-to-understand groups. We get to the semiconductors, and we stumble. What part of our computer is DRAM? What part is NAND? CPUs, GPUs, RFs, you name it. How much cell phone exposure? Too much? Who the heck is too dependent on Apple? Something that could be tough to figure out because the first will be in Apple suppliers. You don't talk about being an Apple supplier. They don't like it. Then there's the hardest of all. I mean, I'm talking about the hardest of the hard when I analyze stocks, and you do too. And I'm talking about the semiconductor capital equipment companies, the companies that make the machines you need to make semiconductors. Come on, we all know they want smaller, faster, better devices, which require smaller, faster, better chips. We need them for cars, wearables, tablets, smartphones. We keep hearing there's not enough manufacturing capacity, right? The chip shortage, you get, well, that's really a, a shortage of factory equipment to make chips. So we know we need the companies that make wafer fabrication equipment. We know we need LAM research. Unfortunately, it's tough to get your head around. Last night, Lamb Research reported, and the response was incredibly confused. The stock vaulted 30 points, only to give it all back this morning and then some, plunging to finish the day down $26.71, thanks in part to the broader pullback in tech, but also because people didn't understand. Huge and ugly swing. Now, I've been a fan of Lamb ever since it acquired Novellus. That's a terrific company built by Rick Hill that made our viewers so much money over the years. Since then, the combined entity has been a juggernaut, one that's now run by Tim Archer, a Novellus guy. But here's the problem. Unless you're deep in the weeds of wafer fabrication equipment, you really don't know how Lamb's doing. Their conference call, frankly, is a little opaque, giving us the usual story about wearables, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, devices, blah, 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 blah. We know those products are in growth mode, requiring more and more semiconductor content. doesn't tell us anything. We know that when you hear about chip shortage, well, you need to think about LAM because they make the machines. The world needs these semiconductor capital equipment plays more than ever and to add capacity as fast as possible. But there are only a handful of them. You can count on Lamb to have strong earnings for years to come, though, because this is the ultimate secular growth story. Pretty much every single semiconductor plant in the world is operating at maximum capacity. So you can't add more chips without the likes of Lamb, ASML, Applied Materials, and KLA. Those are the four major players. Now, today, there was a huge debate raging behind the scenes about whether this economy is already at peak performance. That's incredible. In which case, though, it would be time to ring the register on those red-hot industrials we talk about all the time. They've had big runs. They now reflect a much stronger backdrop. I mean, isn't that how Dow Chemical stock could get crushed if reporting magnificent quarter by all accounts? It's why we get a research report today arguing Deere is at peak earnings. 
And that's hit the stock down seven points. It's why everything connected to housing keeps getting hit. But you know what? I totally reject this theory. Peak performance, are you kidding me? We've barely begun to reopen. I think the economy can shock to the upside. Plus, don't forget, many of our companies have huge exposure to Europe, which hasn't really turned at all yet because the pandemic's still spreading there like wildfire. And don't get me started on India. However, some companies simply don't need a strong economy. Companies like the semiconductor capital equipment place, companies like Glamour Search. They just need the pattern of history to keep on unfolding like it always has every time they gave you a tremendous outlook. No matter what, we're going to keep using more devices powered by, yes, smaller, faster chips. Digitization isn't going anywhere. Go, go talk to Intel tonight. So please don't get lost in the details and don't fret about today's decline, especially since it ran up 4.6% of the report. If you focus on the big picture, then you know that Lamb is a buy, not a sell when it rolls over, just like it did today. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.